Amen. Indeed, it is a blessing to support people all throughout this world as they work for the glory of the gospel uh, throughout the nations and uh, especially in the North American uh, hemisphere. We are giving uh, in, a, in a time of giving specifically to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, offering so that we might support uh, families such as the Turnbows who are ministering within the range of the North American Mission Board. And so as we uh, come today, we celebrate that and we indeed pray that God would uh, allow that money to, to flow so that we uh, might bless those missionaries who are on the front line taking the gospel uh, to the most unreached and underserved areas of North America. As we come this morning, we are going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, the living God and Savior. And as we come this morning, we must understand that we come with various and sundry approaches. There are various people among us who are in different places of this morning. There are some who have gathered with joy in their hearts and praise on their lips, and they can't wait to burst forth in song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. There are others who are here this morning and they're just sort of indifferent. In fact, if you were to ask them what this season means, they would look at you and say, well, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. Indeed, the biggest thing that they have to look forward to is the fact that they're going to have a big family meal next Sunday afternoon, maybe a few chocolate bunnies and a Cadbury egg if they're really good. On top of that, they don't have to come back on Sunday night because no Sunday night service. There are others this morning who are gathered here with a bleak, helpless, and hopeless outlook on life. Concerns over the prices of gas and groceries. Concerns about the political ineptness of our elected and governmental officials. The perplexing problems of our economy, of natural disasters, and wars all around the world are overwhelming and can cause us to spiral into delusional depression if we are not careful. There are people in every range of emotion this morning. Indeed, it could cause us sometimes, if we look at, the, uh, at, at our world, it could cause us to question whether we should even bother getting out of bed in the morning, whether we should even bother getting up and going to work, whether we should hold to the foundations and fundamentals of the Christian faith. Where are you this morning? Are you excited? Are you joyful? Are you shouting and singing? Hallelujah, what a Savior. You're just here and you're sort of going, uh, well, air show hadn't started just yet, so I'm just hanging out until then. you hear this morning and saying, you know what? Everything looks bad. I mean, it looks really bad. What is your hope and your faith trusting in right now? How do you approach everyday life are you devastated and destroyed because of the miseries of life or are you founded and grounded on god's glorious gospel that brings mission and purpose and passion to your life see paul unveils for this young preacher boy timothy a sound theological hope that gives purpose and passion to all that will receive it he gives a third trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that will bring help For those who are helpless. Hope for those who are hopeless. Indeed, it will reach to the depths of despair, depression, and distress. And lift them up out of the miry clay. He's he's writing to to a young pastor. 
who was pastoring at the Ephesian church that Paul planted and pastored. Indeed, he probably, can't you just imagine at some point Timothy would look around and say, you know what, this is really hard. I'm following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. I mean, isn't there just a little bit of twinge of ineptness? Indeed, one of the things that uh, I I have often been amazed at is at the people, uh, pastors, uh, desire to go and to fill a pulpit right behind one great pastors, amazing pastors, overwhelming pastors. It's always a little bit easier when the bar is not set quite so high as Jerry Vines or Adrian Rogers, isn't it? It's always a little bit easier. But Paul or Timothy is following Paul. And in this church, there were being uh, there were some within the fellowship who were being deceived by demonic doctrines that had shipwrecked the faith of some, even some in the leadership. And so Timothy is constantly struggling. This isn't exactly the picture of the pious perfection we often imagine when we think of the early days of the Christian church. Surely it was difficult for this young pastor preacher to find the help and the hope that he needed to face the day to facilitate the flow of the gospel and to complete the task of the Great Commission by making disciples. And yet Paul gives young Timothy and the early church in these moments of depression, despair, and distress, he gives them a message of hope and a message of help. He reminds Timothy that his work and worth are not found in the things of this world which are which decay, deteriorate and die, but rather his work and his worth are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ in the living God who brings hope to all men. Indeed, in the same way, our work and our worth are not found in the things of this world. Our work and our worth is found Where? In the living God, the Savior of the world. The living God and Savior of the world. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's look there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. And let's see what Paul says as he brings a message of hope and help to those who need it most. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, read as follows. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. For it is for this we labor and strive, Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Father, we come this morning thanking you for your holy and inspired word. Father, we thank you, Father, that that your spirit comes and illuminates this passage and brings it to light so that we might apply it into our life and live differently as we go out. Lord, we ask now that as we come to the word of the Lord, that the Lord of the word would shine through it and father impact our hearts and our lives lord allow in these moments father for your holy spirit to take it to reveal the truth and to apply it to our hearts each and every moment of the day we pray these things now in jesus name amen as we come this morning 
It is indeed the hope that sustains the Christian in our work and worth is found in our living Savior God. The hope that sustains the Christian in our work and worth is found in our living Savior God. Last week he gave the uh, Timothy, young Timothy, three pastoral priorities that were to be found in his ministry. They were to, that he was to be directed towards God, that he was to be devoted to God, and he was to be diligent in his pursuit of godliness. Timothy, ground your direction, your devotion, and your diligence in a Godward manner. Now, Timothy, work hard. Be diligent. But understand, there are going to be days where you feel helpless and you feel hopeless. And when those days come, I want you to understand the hope that will sustain your work and your worth is to be found in our living Savior and God. First of all, we see at the beginning of verse 10, the motivation and assurance of the Christian life. The motivation and assurance of the Christian life. Timothy is surely struggling with some difficult and perplexing issues within life. He was filling Paul's shoes. Surely that was difficult. The church was being attacked from within by ravenous wolves seeking to destroy the gospel ministry with hellish heresies and demonic doctrine. Indeed, the church was also being uh, was facing persecution from outside of the outside of the doors as they were being resisted and refused from the culture who did not want to hear a clear clarion call for gospel truth. They're facing attacks, attacks from within, attacks from without, attacks even in their approaches to life. Timothy, the hope that will sustain you. Timothy, the strength that will give you the sustenance to make it through the day will be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the hope that sustains and strengthens and sustains us for the hard labor and the diligent striving for godliness and daily life and the work of the gospel is the hope of the living God. When fear and hopelessness assail us, turn back to the gospel and only look to God. Don't look to anyone else. Don't look to anything else. You look at the living God, the only life-sustaining, strength-giving source of help and hope in our hour of need is God himself. It is not the bottle. It is not the bong. It is not the brothel where we find our hope and where we find our sustenance we find our help our hope and our sustenance in the living God in God's salvation we see that it is more valuable than anything this world can offer or anything that death could ever take from us and we understand that our hope Our motivation, our assurance is to be found in God and God alone. Well, what keeps you going when you face the pressures and stresses of life? What is it that keeps you going when you are down and out? What is the source of your hope? Where do you turn when your friends fail you, when your family leaves you, when your marriage is mangled, when your children challenge you, and when your health or the health of one you love is hanging in the balance? What is it at that moment that keeps you going? What is it that causes you to go on? Where do you go when life spins out of control? And quite frankly, you can't fix it. A doctor can't remedy it. And the pastor is just as perplexed as you. Where do you go? You go to the living God. 
Don't go to man and you don't go to material. You go to the living God. You go to the God who is able to work all things for his glory and for your good. You go to the God who harbors the heavens, who moves the mountain, who overflows the oceans. You run to the God who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are lazy, who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. Where do you go? You go to the throne of mercy and you cry out in those moments in desperation, crying out, God, deliver me. Indeed, we understand he is not a co- God is not a cosmic band-aid to be put on and taken up when taken off whenever we have a boo-boo. God is not a cosmic band-aid. God is a very present help in our time of need he is right there he is our strength he is our redeemer he is our deliverer let me ask you this morning when it comes to your life do you just ask that god would change your circumstances or do you ask that god would change your heart Because, see, circumstances don't bring us living hope. But the God who is in charge and control of all of life's circumstances is the God who can bring a living hope in the midst of utter despair. As we go through life, we are to find our motivation and our assurance for the Christian life in the hope of the living God. This gives us the ability to overcome the obstacles persevere in the persecution and plow through the perplexities of life. The living God indeed is our hope. He is our motivation and he is our assurance because after all, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know who it is and I know I can turn to him in the midst of anything. Second of all, this morning, not only should we see that the motivation and assurance of the Christian life are found in the living God, but secondly, that the Christian hope is found in the God who is the only Savior of man. He is the God who is the only Savior of man. Paul further grounds Timothy's hope in the living God by directing him to the title of this living God. He says, who is the Savior of all men? who is the Savior of all men. Paul is making clear that there is one Savior God who is able to deliver all sinners of which you and I are the chief. Timothy, you have been given a task to proclaim salvation to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And the one source of salvation that you are to have, the one source of salvation that you are to proclaim, young Timothy, is the salvation that is found in the living Lord Jesus Christ. You don't proclaim any other message or any other way. There is one Savior of the world, and that one Savior of the world has revealed Himself fully through Jesus Christ. What does it mean for Paul to say that God is the Savior of the world? Well, is Paul a universalist at this point? Does that ever pop into your head? Well, he's the Savior of the world. He must, that must mean everybody gets saved. Indeed, does he mean what Rob Bell seems to take, that in the end, it really doesn't matter what you believe or how you interact with the gospel, because in the end, love wins, and it really doesn't matter. So who cares whether we preach or teach the gospel? We'll just stand up and say, everybody gets saved. It's not what Paul's saying, is it? 
Indeed, certainly Paul does not mean that God's salvation delivers every human from God's divine justice and wrath, regardless of how they interact with the gospel. Rather, in chapter 1, he had already warned of the consequences uh, and dangers of those whose faith would be shipwrecked. Indeed, if you turn away, listen, you need to be warned because that shipwrecked faith is pointing to the fact that you are destined for hell. If Paul had believed in universalism, a safe passage for all, regardless of what one does with the message of the gospel, then surely he would not have been so adamant in preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and it as the only power of salvation for the sinners within this world. Indeed, he would have never suffered so much at the hands of the governmental authorities if he truly believed that it really didn't matter what you believe because everybody was going to make it to heaven. Indeed, Paul believed what Jesus believed. There is one true and living God. There is a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. Those that repent of their sins and believe in God's Savior are those who are redeemed and will be reconciled to God in His eternal glory. Those that refuse and reject God's Savior will be separated from God forever to suffer for their sins under God's wrath in a place called hell. That's what Jesus taught. In fact, he even made this point when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but what? By me. No one can come to the Father. So it is not good enough for us to simply say, it doesn't matter what you believe because it matters greatly what you believe. Well, you know, you, you just uh, you need to set all that stuff aside. But stop being such an exclusivist, Pastor. I'm an exclusivist not because I want to be, but because the Word of God tells me to be. When Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I believe every word of it. And my job is to proclaim to the nations, indeed, that he is the only source of salvation. Paul called God the Savior of all men in the, because... Uh, because God genuinely desires for all human beings to experience salvation. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Look with me. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. God desires that all would come. Indeed, when, when Paul says this, he is pointing to the fact that indeed there is a desire on the behalf of God for all of his created creatures, which he has made in his image to come to know him personally as Lord and Savior. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The fact that more are not saved is not due to somehow God's weakness or impotence within the divine intent. No, it is not due to that at all. Rather, it is due to the stubborn opposition of the human will. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather you children together. 
The way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were unwilling. You rejected me. You refused me. You reviled me. You ran away when I tried to draw you to myself. When I tried to draw you into the kingdom, you willfully disobeyed and chose another path. In light of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, we under, which says that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at a proper time. Indeed, we see that his redemptive work as Savior is as Savior for all. It is sufficient for all. It appears here that Christ is potentially a ransom for the sins of all. First John chapter 2, verse 2. It also reminds us of this truth. When, when in First John, uh, the, the apostle writes, He himself, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation, the payment in full for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Indeed, we understand Jesus' death on the cross was a, was a pure and perfect substitutionary sacrifice that was sufficient for all who have ever lived, but it is efficient for those that believe. Indeed, one drop of Jesus' blood can cleanse 10,000 worlds over. But the fact is, that doesn't mean just because his blood flowed that every person will be received into the kingdom of God. It means that those who believe will be received. Indeed, we understand Jesus' death His work, His redemptive work is sufficient for all. But it is only efficient to those who believe. That's the qualifying phrase there in verse 10. He is the Savior of all men, especially to those that believe. See, Paul shows this when he says, particularly, there is an application of the redemptive work of Jesus, the salvation of of the human soul when one believes in those believers who have trusted God. He is, Jesus Christ is, a Savior in a far deeper and more profound sense. Indeed, the term especially introduces the explanation that assurance of salvation belongs to those who have received Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is in in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, for this purpose that Jesus Christ has come so that he might save men, sinners, from their sin. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Who did Jesus Christ come to save? Let's try that one more time. Who did Jesus Christ come to save? Oh, sinners, right? Sinners. Who did he come to save? He came to save sinners. And what am I? Who am I? Who are you? We are sinners who need a Savior. We are sinners who need salvation. But we must understand that salvation comes by grace alone, through Christ alone, in faith alone. 
Indeed, nothing in these statements supports the idea that Jesus Christ's death provides any benefit for those who refuse and reject him as Savior and Lord. But everything in these statements supports that anyone that comes to Jesus Christ with a repentant heart for their sins, humbly surrendering their lives to him and hoping only in his life, death, burial and resurrection will be made a child of the Most High. They will be forgiven of their sins. They will find redemption in Him and be made a child of the living God. What a blessing. Timothy preached these things. That's what he says in verse 11. You want to know what you are to prescribe and teach? You're to prescribe and teach these things. This is to be the main focal point of your ministry. Don't let anything else, don't let anyone else, don't let Don't let anything come between you and the message of the gospel. See, God is gracious to his creatures in this passage in that he takes... He makes it to rain both on the just and the unjust. Indeed, God is the Savior of all in the fact that He is good, that all have seen and known and tasted His goodness in creation. Indeed, God is the Savior of all men in the fact that we didn't die immediately when we first transgressed God's holy, perfect, and pure law. With that first moment when we rebelled against our parents and rebelled ultimately against God by looking at them and saying, No, in utter defiance and rebellion of our parents, at that moment, we were guilty before God and we deserved the penalty of death. Because we had broken his law. And yet God was gracious to us. He spared our lives. He raised us up. He made it to reign upon both the just and the unjust. He indeed allowed us to come to know and to see and to taste the goodness of his creation. He spared us from uh, immediate punishment. And yet his great love for his rebellious creatures was demonstrated for us ultimately by the fact that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die as a substitute, as a sacrifice. There on the cross of Calvary in your place and in my place. See, indeed, Jesus Christ sent his son, or God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to do what you and I could never do. Live up to the demands of the law, to fulfill the law perfectly in every way. But that's just the beginning for after Jesus lived that perfect life, God orchestrated, he oversaw his death as a penal substitutionary sacrifice as a ransom for many. He was buried in a tomb on Good Friday that seemed anything to be to be anything but good. Indeed, on Good Friday, there had to be doubt and despair. There had to be desperation among his disciples as they wondered what in the world are we going to do? We have attached our lives to this man. We have cast our lot with this man. What are we going to do? Because this man who came into Jerusalem, the the talk of the town, the toast of the town, he comes in with a triumphal entry, has now gone out and been crucified as a common criminal. What in the world are we going to do? But praise God, the story doesn't end on Good Friday because then it comes to what you and I would call Resurrection Sunday. 
Sunday. Forget Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. For that morning, God spoke and a dead man, a dead man got up and walked out of the grave, came forth in glorious victory so that all who would repent of their sins and place their faith in him would be redeemed. That is the great news. That is the good message. That is what we are to preach and teach. And that is what we are to tell every person we come into contact with. See, we understand that God, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, vindicated by God as the guiltless lamb, having overcome sin, death, and the grave. He rose so that he might help, help the helpless and bring hope to the hopeless that would repent and believe by faith in him. Glory to God in the highest. Indeed, we owed a debt we could not pay, and he paid a debt he did not owe. He is the source, he is the sustainer, and he is the hope of our lives as a Redeemer, Messiah, and Lord question this morning is how do you approach life do you look at the circumstances that are all around you or do you look at the risen christ who has redeemed and saved the souls of all who would repent of their sins and place their faith in him what is your motivation and assurance in the midst of your life are you just hoping that you'll be good enough to get in? Let me go ahead and tell you, you can never be good enough to get in. Because if you have fallen in one point, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, if you've broken the law in one area, it is as if you have broken the whole law. So who among us today would like to raise their hand and say, I've never told a lie? Anybody? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know why? Because we all know that we are liars by nature and by choice. We don't even have to go any farther. But we have so much sin that controls and compels us to do things contrary to the living God. And we wonder why we don't have hope in the midst of our days. We need to again look at the message of the gospel. We need to again turn our eyes and our attention not to ourselves and not to our stuff. But to the hope of the living God as a savior for sinners who is the only source of true salvation. To remind ourselves what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary has set me free to live forever for his glory. Indeed, let me ask you this morning. He's the only one who can change your heart and to make it ever new. And let me ask you this morning, are you willing to lay your life down, to repent of your sins, to place yourself unreservedly in his hands so that he might then take you and transform you from a sinner into a saint, from a sinner into a son of the living God? willing this morning to receive that message of hope that message of help then don't wait a moment more you lift your eyes to God and you cast yourself unreservedly before his throne of mercy and say God I'm a sinner who needs a savior you have provided a savior for sinners Lord I want to be right with you Please forgive me in my sins. Please renew my heart. Renew my spirit. Make me. Make me to be in a right relationship with you. As we come this this morning, is that a decision that you need to make? Maybe you've made the decision before, but you have slidden. You have stepped away. You are not walking as closely as you were with the 
the living God. And this morning, I want to encourage you, don't find your hope in anything or anyone else other than the living God. You turn your eyes back to him and you focus on him and him alone. You live for him and for his glory and your good each and every day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we come and.